21 grams, the weight of a human soul, a small weight really, just three quarters of an ounce. I mean, do we even notice it? Do we, do we recognize that it's there? Would we, would we miss it if it were gone? And Jesus asks us, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet forfeit, lose their soul? Or, or what could someone give in exchange for their soul? I mean, Jesus seems to imply that whatever it is that's contained within those 21 grams has a measurable weight within it. Now, 21 grams is just kind of a cool idea. I don't know exactly how much my soul weighs. It's probably less than 21 grams. I don't know exactly how much your soul weighs, but what I do know is that, you know, there's times in my life where it seems like my soul is so malnourished that I can't really feel its weight anymore. There's moments where it seems like my soul is struggling to survive. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that, you know, my soul can struggle in in bad times and in good that from the outside, it seems like I've got it all together. Things are humming along and clicking and all's good and well from the outside. But, but on the inside, there's a deep ache and a deep longing within me. It's almost like there's this vacuum within me that no matter how much I try to fill it with stuff, the entertainment, food, money, recognition, status, all, all of that, it, it still ends up feeling kind of empty. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul, not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul is what's running your life. He goes on and he says, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the center of the human being. And if your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life. That's pretty comforting. But he also says that if your soul is unhealthy, then no external circumstances can redeem it. So what do you do when your soul is struggling? What do you do when your soul is malnourished and you can't seem to feel its weight? So in the middle of Jesus' ministry, you know, he's been busy teaching and healing and feeding people. And once again, he becomes confronted with the religious authorities of his day that don't agree with him. And also, he's confronted by his family. Okay, that's enough, Jesus. Settle down. You're starting to act a little crazy, starting to scare some people, starting to tick some people off. Jesus, why don't you just come back inside? But Jesus doesn't. 
and he keeps on teaching, and then this is what he taught. This is Matthew 13. It says, that same day, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what had been sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen. This is one of the most, it is the most meaningful passage of Scripture uh, to me, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But, but first, I, I want us to think about, you know, what, what is Jesus talking about here? I mean, what, what is he trying to tell us through this story? Assuming that he's not just giving us some horticultural advice. I mean, what is he trying to teach us? And so whenever you see a story like this, I, I think it's helpful to look for uh, the constants and the variables within the story to get to the main point. And so you think about this, the, the seed is the constant, that this isn't a good story about good seed and bad seed. It's the same seed. And the seed will take root if it's given just half a chance. And the seed, as we find out, is, is a little picture of God's kingdom. That it's the good news that Jesus has come to bring. And the sower, likewise, is a constant this isn't a good story about a good sower and a bad sower. It's the same sower. And the first thing that we notice about the sower is how generous he is with throwing, scattering seed everywhere. It doesn't care where it lands. He's just being so generous with it. The sower is Jesus. And all the soils are, are given the same opportunity to receive the seed. But it's a soil that gets interesting. It's a soil that's the variable in the story. And I think that you could almost exchange the word soil for the word soul to get Jesus' whole point. Because I think what Jesus is really calling all of us to reflect on is how receptive is your soul to God's kingdom? How, how receptive is your soul? How, how healthy is your soul? Is it hardened? Is it shallow? Is it cluttered? Or is it good? So the first seed falls on hardened soil. And thinking about this, you know, what, what does it look like for a soul to become hardened? Well, a soul becomes hardened the same way that soil becomes hard. 
That Jesus is talking about the soil that was along the path. This is the soil, this is the place in the field that's been walked down by the sower. It's been walked down by sheep as they're going towards the water. It's been walked down, it's been marked out. It's been pushed and pressed. And it's now dry and hard. You know, the soul gets that way too sometimes. Our souls become hardened, especially when we've been hurt or disappointed. And you know, whenever we've been hurt or disappointed, our natural tendency is to protect ourselves, right? We put another layer on. We, we try to grow some thicker skin. We become calloused and hard. And ironically, in an attempt to defend against the bad stuff, more hurt, more disappointment, more all of that, in an attempt to defend against that, we often don't allow the good stuff, the good seed, to come in. We keep people at arm's length. And man, do we keep God at arm's length with a hardened soul too. And if you have a hardened soul, then you might find yourself becoming a little cynical or bitter, suspicious, envious. And so if I'm just totally honest, I mean, I'll tell you that my soul is most susceptible to becoming like this, the hardened soil. That it's that part of me that that just doesn't want to forgive even though I've been forgiven. It's that part of me that, that becomes cynical or jealous or selfish or, or I think I can just do it better on my own if you would leave me alone. Now, I know you all don't get it that way. I'm not, I'm not talking about your soil. I'm not talking about your soul. I'm talking about mine, okay? Uh, it's interesting. I was in a, uh, like a leadership development thing uh, last month, and uh, a lot of this process that I'm going through has a lot to do with like your pet personality types and, you know, kind of looking introspective and all this stuff. And uh, they gave me this book to kind of describe my personality type. And I'm reading it, and it's like holding a mirror up to my soul. And then I turn the page, and it begins describing how I react when I'm under stress or pressure. And it says has a tendency to become overly critical or negative. And I thought, who wrote this stupid thing anyways? Like, come on, what is this garbage? Whoops. There's my sign. There's my sign. Jesus said that those of you who have a soul that's like the hardened soil, you're in danger of the evil one coming and snatching the good from it. But there is good news for those of us who have souls that are susceptible to becoming hardened. And the good news is that the seed is strong. That the good news of Jesus Christ is strong it's stronger than we think, that, that just one small seed can break up concrete. One small seed can upend a sidewalk if it's just given a little room, just enough room 
to take root, that the hardened soul is closer to being saved than it knows. But Jesus said the problem isn't just with those of you who have a hardened soul. There's another kind of soil, another kind of soul. He says, some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, the shallow soul. And so in the Middle East where Jesus is talking about, you know, the farmland that he's referring to in the Middle East, there's really only a thin layer of topsoil. And then below it is just hardened clay, a rocky soil. It's, it's tough down there. It's just a small layer, superficial soil on the top. And it has the ability to receive the seed and, and even allow it to grow some, but never allow it to mature because it's so shallow. Superficial. Richard Foster said that superficiality is the curse of our age. That we're all stretched too thin. With an abundance of information and entertainment, excitement, technology, and you know, none of that stuff is inherently bad, but what the soul desperately needs, what the soul is desperately crying out for, is just a little depth. The deep would cry out to deep that we would seep, seek the deepness of God's mercy for our lives. That's what the soul craves. But too often we're a mile wide and just an inch thick. And for so much of our lives, we just live in the shallows of our soul, that we wade in the thin waters of the depth of eternity that's contained within our souls. Just live there. We're content there. And then usually something happens. A crisis. A birth. A death. A diagnosis. And all of a sudden we're thrown into the deep waters of the soul. That all of a sudden we come to realize that there's so much more there than we could have ever thought or imagined And there's a haunting beauty to it. But sometimes it's too much for us and we just want to retreat back to the shallows because it seems so much safer there. It seems so much easier there. And and let's be honest, it, it might be at least for a moment. But if you never explore the depth, then you'll never allow the seed to take those deep roots. And so I found that You know, when my soul is kind of shallow, I find that my interests, my thoughts, my prayers, they never go beyond myself. They end with me. And so it's no wonder that my soul, that part of me which connects me to the God of the universe, that part of me which connects me to those around me, it's no wonder that that part of me feels shallow when all I think about is myself. 
And so Jesus warns those of us with that shallow soul that when trouble comes, that when things don't end up going our way, then, that when we've become so busy focusing on me, myself, and I, that when trouble comes, the danger is that we'll just fall away. We'll fall away from the faith because it's, it's too much for us to bear. But here's the good news. The seed is bigger than we think. That when the seed can't go down anymore, that's when it starts to go out until it finds the nourishment that it needs. The roots go out. And so the shallow soul is closer to being saved than it knows. And then there's the third type. The cluttered soul. It says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Jesus later goes on to say, that This is the condition where the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for all these other things come and it chokes the soul because the soul is too cluttered with everything else. And I think that we could all agree that we live in a cluttered world. There's just so much. And a cluttered soul might be one of the most dangerous ones because we don't see it coming. The clutter just slowly begins to accumulate. It's it's so subtle. And what happens is that we often mistake the clutter of life for life itself. I mean, think about it. If we were to cease to be busy, would we think that life is still meaningful? If we were to cease to be busy, (laughs) would we still matter? I mean, that's a haunting question that'll keep you up at night. Sorry. But think about it. Our, Our culture thrives on this. That we pass around resumes that that chronicle all of our achievements. We slap bumper stickers on the backs of our cars. We constantly update our status. We hunt for success and lifestyle and status symbols and gossip and all this other stuff. All the while we might find that our soul has been choked out a long time ago and we've been so cluttered that we didn't even notice it was gone. And so what if the most important part of you is not your achievements, not what you will fill your life with, but what if the most important part of you is who you will become? What if the most important part of you, what if what matters most is the kind of soul that you have? And so here's the good news. Those with a cluttered soul that seed is more persistent than we think. That it only takes the seed a little, just just a tiny bit of uncluttered space to give the seed enough room to grow. The cluttered soul is closer to being saved than it knows. And there's one last one. Jesus says there's the good soil. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the person who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's what our souls crave. Our souls crave the good soil. Our souls always long to be made like the good soil, the place where God's word, where the teachings of Jesus, the message of good news that brings hope and new life and peace and forgiveness, where all of that can take root and flourish within us. Our souls long to be like the good soil. And so what, what makes the good soil good? I mean, if that's the goal, if, if that's what my soul wants, well, just tell me, what is it that makes the good soil good? And I'll do it. What makes the soul healthy? Well, the good news is that Jesus has already told us. The bad news is that we just don't like his answer. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You want to be like the good soil? Do that. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There it is. Take up your cross. Let Jesus lead instead of you. Deny yourself. That's simple enough, right? Just do it. And you know what I, what I love and appreciate so much about when Jesus says there is that he doesn't give us a third option, even though we want one. Jesus says, deny yourself and find life or indulge yourself and lose your life. But we really want that third option, Right? We really want to be able to take up a light cross on our terms and go our way. Or we might be okay with denying some parts of ourselves, but but not, not everything all at once, not the whole enchilada all at once. We want to lose some parts of ourselves, particularly the parts that, that we don't like, but we don't want to lose everything, our whole lives. I mean, we, we do want to gain the whole world and yet keep our soul. But Jesus just doesn't give us that option. He said, you can't serve two masters. A house that's divided cannot stand. Or I love how his younger brother, who would come to say years later, he said this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That word double-minded is uh, daisukos in Greek. Sukos or psyche is the Greek word for soul, and so it could literally be translated, you double-souled, you split-souled, you fractured soul. That's when we have two agendas operating within us at the same time. They were trying to serve two masters. That our soul craves the good soil, but our will, our mind, our body, it it craves the hard, 
the shallow, the cluttered soil. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And, and here's the risk that happens there. John Ortberg says this. He says, when the soul is not centered, one is not sure what temptations are worth resisting or what sacrifices are worth making. Man. Man. I know that's true. I know that's true within me. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, I, I, I just feel like I'm falling apart at the seams right now, that I'm coming undone, that I can't seem to hold myself together. I'm, I'm falling apart and I just don't know what to do. Those are cries of a divided soul. Those are cries of a split and a fractured soul. It's like having your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. It's the cry of the soul that longs to be made whole. Again, as Parker Palmer put it, the divided life is a wounded life. And the soul keeps calling us to heal the wound. That if the soul is that part of us that makes us whole, it integrates our will, our mind, our body, and if the soul longs to be made whole, then the thing that divides us, the thing that wounds us, the thing that disintegrates us is our sin. And sin, just real quick, is put simply, it's not only the wrong stuff that you do, but it's also the good stuff that you don't do. It's the starving child that you don't want to acknowledge. It's the money that we don't want to give. It's the volunteering that we avoid. It's the people that we don't want to serve. It's the forgiveness that we don't want to offer. And all of that, it just divides us. It divides us from God. It divides us from one another. And and here, it, it divides us from ourselves. It disintegrates us from the way that God created us to be. I mean, the reason why I have those hardened spots in my soul, the reason why I have those shallow places, the reason why I have those cluttered places in my soul, I know is because of my sin. It's the wrong stuff that I just don't want to own up to, and it's the good stuff that I keep trying to avoid doing. Jesus says that the only way to avoid this double-souled, this double-minded, this split-souled, fractured soul kind of life is to deny yourself. Because when we're torn apart by that inner conflict, we can't lean wholly on God. We can't lean on God with confidence because we still have this part of ourselves that's wanting to pull away, that's wanting to go back to the hardened places, the shallow places, the cluttered places. So we can't lean fully on God. We can't take deep root on God. And so we have to deny that part of our lives that's, that's seeking away from it. We have to choose, really, what kind of soul we become. Hardened? Shallow? Cluttered? Good? So the reason why this story 
from Jesus about the sower and the seed and the soils is so important to me. I may have told some of this story before. Is that back in high school, before uh, I was a Christian, uh, I was a pretty avid atheist at the time. And I had a lot of bad relationships. Don't need to go into further explanation on that. Had a lot of bad friendships. There's drug use, alcohol abuse, all sorts of just not good things for my soul. And I started going to church because I thought the pastor's daughter was cute. So I really had my foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. I felt, I felt double-souled, split-souled, fractured-souled. And then it was one night while I was dog-sitting at my brother's house that I decided to read uh, the Bible for one of the first times on my own. And I opened up to the Gospel of Matthew where this story comes from because it was just the first book in the New Testament and I was reading it. And then I came to this story that Jesus tells. And I knew he was talking about my soul when he was talking about the hardened soil. I knew he was talking about my shallow soul, my cluttered soul. And I just began to weep. And I fell to my knees and I prayed for the first time, Jesus, make me like the good soil. Forgive me. Break up those hardened places, those rocky places, those thorny places. Jesus, make me like the good soil. I want to hear your word and receive it. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me like a good soil that I could produce a crop hundredfold. And you know, that's a prayer that I still pray and need to pray daily in my life. So if you would, as, as we kind of close together, um, I would invite you to pray that prayer with me. Um, and maybe, maybe if you would, that you would do it kind of like how I did. You don't have to get on your knees, but, but just your, your palms open up as a sign of your openness to God this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, make us like the good soil. Lord, for those hard places in our souls, those shallow places, those cluttered places, Lord Jesus, that you would break that up, that you would till the soil of our souls and make it good. God, we want to be like the good soil, so forgive us. Save us, Jesus. May we hear you. May we receive your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness.
And may we flourish in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're going to um, close with uh, a song, it's, it's new, but there's a part of it that I would bet that just about everybody knows. And it's actually a really old, old song. It's written by Horatio um, uh, Spafford in, uh, in 1873. Horatio Spafford invested uh, most of all that he had in, uh, in real estate, and he lived in Chicago, and then he lost it all in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. A couple years later, he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship to go to England. His younger son had died three years earlier. And so he sent his wife and his daughters on a ship to England. A few days later, he got a telegram from his wife that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? All four of his daughters had drowned. And so Horatio jumped on a ship and uh, went off to England to find his wife there. And as he was crossing over this very same place where his daughters had perished and passed away, he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul that when your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life.